To not bother. Did it, mate? Hang on. Oh, Jesus Christ. There we go. Oh, dinner table. Dinner table. <laughs> yeah. Your wrists are so tired. My wrists were so tired. <laughs> Damn me. Oh, hang on. Throw in the cork, Dave. There you go, bub. Dave's got What's it. There? Dave's got it. It's over there. Lols. I've just thrown it. That's by your blanket. She's got it. She's got it. Hi, Hi cheers. Cheers. Oh, how lovely. It's lovely to see you. I know we haven't seen each other for nearly a month. Yeah. Unheard of. Unheard of. We live in the same village. Yeah. It's like we've had a row. It felt like that at times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh no, something's going down. No, we haven't had a row. We too hadn't. much, too much going on. Too much going on. You had on. COVID. I've, I've had COVID. The Rona, she came the to Rona. visit. Oh. The absolute bitch. Feeling better now, though. Feeling better now, and I'm yeah. ready to party. Yeah. Listeners, we are recording this the Friday before it is released. No, the Thursday before it is going to be released on the Monday. It yeah. is your husband's 40th birthday. It is. We have a party on Saturday. There's going to be guests. Yeah. There's going to be booze. There's going to be boogieing. There's going to be cake. There's going to be cake. Yes. Very excited. I'm super excited. Happy and birthday, Andy. Happy birthday, from all of us here at Not For The Dinner Table all to two you, of us. Andy Greenhouse Cook. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, Andy. Happy birthday, Andy. Happy birthday, Andy. Mm-hmm. If you want a happy birthday shout-out, <laughs> listeners, then email us at Not like For The Dinner the Table at gmail.com. Yeah. I'll get the broom cupboard. Lolly's like Ed the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the Gordon the What was the Arthur called? Oh, Otis. Otis. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, welcome listeners and welcome, welcome, no, no, welcome back and welcome new listeners to the realm of sugar balls, high strangeness and thankfulness to the Norse gods. Oh, thanks, thanks Odin. Odin. I've got new glasses. We're liking we can, chinking them, we aren't we? We can tell. Yeah. We are a podcast covering all things that we find strange and interesting, weird and wonderful. We go from mythical legend to crazy conspiracies, from hauntings and ghost stories to aliens and cryptids. I'm David. And I'm Sophie. And welcome to Not For The Dinner Table. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Home of... Oh, sorry. The Ghost Mouse. Go <laughs> We haven't done that for so long. I know. I miss ghost mouse. Oh, poor little ghost mouse. Oh, poor little ghost mouse. Oh. Episode 75, safe. Bloody hell, Dave. Are we going to have some sort of like party at our 100th episode? I think we absolutely have to have yeah. a 100th celebration and then. That's it. Drop the mic. See you later. Yeah. We're done. Cancel, cancel the rest of it. 100 <laughs> done. We've done 100 episodes. We've done this 100 times. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? We've done it 75 times. Yeah, that's really cool. I was looking really back cool. at some episodes for recommendations at the end of this episode. Oh, yes. And I was like, I can't believe how some of them are so far back, because I remember them vividly. Yeah. And then others, I'm like, what was that about? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the one that we, we, we started doing them in Andy's shed, didn't we? Yeah. And then we had... A jingle of pins one time. A jingle. We've got a jingle of pins. Oh, yeah. a Wimbledon special. When it was really hot. Yeah. Mm. Lovely. Oh. Anyway, before we get yeah. too nostalgic. Go on then. What are we talking about tonight? We're going medieval true crime. Oh, 
medieval, true crime, medieval, true crime, medieval, true crime. Oh, I love that it's not really, not really fair. Is it? Is it the jingle? Is it not? No, it's not. Just like singing it like that, don't I mean, we? <laughs> that's what I've mostly done during my research um, this me. week is just sing that in my head. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have a little bit of news before we get started. Uh, go on then. So let's I go. I haven't gotten any. Well. Sorry. No surprise there. Well, no, it's not. That is a surprise actually because I've brought news every time we've started the last... Two times. Two times. <laughs> <laughs> I did two. You did two. Yeah. Do you know what's even funnier? Is no. I nearly prepared a third story to give to you. <laughs> and you were like, no, no, she'll be prepared. She'll, she'll be have a this. story. She'll have it. Hey, no, this I doesn't don't. matter. Sorry. It doesn't matter. We've I know got, it doesn't. This is a hobby. It's my podcast. <laughs> you can do what you like. <laughs> That's it. I cannot bring a new story if I want to. If I don't want <laughs> there to be any NFTDT news, there won't be any <laughs> NFTDT news. No, there won't. End of discussion. Mm-hmm. Right. Hit it. Go. No news. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was That's like, not what? the jingle. Go. Go. <laughs> right. No, no news is good news, but some news might be nice news. Not for the dinner table. News. Nessie is back. Oh. Do you know what? I've bloody got this on my phone flagged up for a news story. Well, thanks to my thanks to news you. editor. Well done. Oh, mum. <laughs> well All done, of my Jim. news comes from mum. So thank you, mum. Jim, can you send me some please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll literally, I'll just start, because she sends me so many links. Yeah. I'll just forward you some too. Okay, great. Uh, Nessie is back. Three months has passed without an official recorded sighting of the Loch Ness Monster. But that all changed last week when Yoan O'Fadigan's webcam spotted something unexplainable. Reported in Gloucestershire Live, Irishman O'Fadigan, who's 57, <laughs> it spout so ridiculously. So I, there is a lot of A's, a lot of O's, okay. a lot of D's and a lot of H's. Say it again. O'Fadigan. O'Fadigan. Yeah. Lovely. So, O'Fadigan who regularly records sightings via the Loch Ness webcam, said that two objects appeared to be moving parallel to each other across the middle of the screen. Could that be Nessie and yes. the baby? And the baby! <laughs> and the baby. Oh. The veteran spotter from uh, Donegal, whose first sighting of the monster came back in 1987, shared the vinegar... Vinegar? <laughs> So we need to just take a bit of a tangent. So since COVID, I've had, I've definitely had COVID brain, like when the brain does not process. Have you lost your taste and everything smells like vinegar? No, I can still smell, I can still taste, but like I stopped talking because I can't, which is great for a podcast. That's amazing. You just now randomly say vinegar in the middle of everything. Shed the vinegar. He shared the vinegar. He shared it, okay. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> right. Go on. The veteran spotter from Donegal, whose first sighting of the monster came back in 1987, shared the video of the dark shapes moving about on the surface of the lock. The sighting was marked up on the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register to become the first official sighting of 2022. Yay! When one person commented that the dark shapes could be a log or some debris, Yoan responded, the more northerly object takes a sharp turn to the left, leaving an unusual wake. You would have to rule out a log or debris, and it is not consistent of a seal to react in such a manner. Inverness-based register keeper Gary Campbell who has recorded more than 1,136 alleged sightings of Nessie over the past 26 years, recently stated that the start of the year and the end of winter is usually a quiet time for the monster. He added, that did not mean they haven't had any reports in 2022, far from it, but much like the majority of claimed sightings, if they are explainable, they don't make it onto the register. 
It appears the latest video was deemed credible enough to be unexplainable and therefore has been added to the list. <gasps> Excellent. Yeah. So, nice bit of Nessie news. Love it. I love Nessie news. And we've had quite a lot of cryptid news mm. over the last couple of episodes, haven't we? Do you know why that is though, Dave? Because they're all coming out because it's COVID. They're because they're Because of COVID. They're all coming out. <laughs> but yeah, they're loving it. They're right. There's not many people out and about, or there weren't many people no. out and about, so they're becoming a little bit more... Blasé. Blasé about where Blase they are. Blasé fair. Blasé yes. <laughs> serendipity they're just loving it they're just walking around all french like oh yeah i do not care if someone sees me yeah oh that's offensive <laughs> you're so offensive <laughs> anyway my second bit of news before yes. we wrap this up under half an hour because i can't speak okay have you heard sophie mm-hmm. about the inner limits worldwide investigation into conscious awareness no I like this, and I think possibly we should maybe participate. Oh. The Inner Limits is a project hosted by Future Shock, and this is how it works. Basically, Future Shock will meditate for two 30-minute sessions every Sunday, commencing in February 2022 and ending in August 2022. Nice. During this time, he will mentally transmit the secret key, which is three English words. <gasps> Only he knows the key, a copy of which has been secured in a safety deposit safety deposit box. And in September of 2022, the key will be revealed and published. Oh my God, that's exciting. So he's going to be the sender. And what they're looking for is receivers. So anyone in the world can be a part of this experiment. And to take part, you would meditate at the same time as the sender. Clear your mind and focus on receiving the key, which is the three English words. When you receive some information, you can submit it on the website. And then you can also use an iOS or Android app to submit it. And it's possible to submit as many times and it's all free. Yeah, let's do it. How cool is that? Yeah. So yeah, we'll look into that further yeah. and possibly take part in a conscious awareness Love experiment. Love it. Do have to make sure the times are right though for me because <laughs> of Ernie be running around trying to sit on me You're or like, push me over. I'm trying to meditate. Yeah. Um, he does he does a little meditate. Maybe he'll do it with me yeah. as well. And then yeah. he'll start saying random words and you'll be like, no. No. I'll be like, stop now. Stop now. That's an F. No. And that's my news. Well done. You Thanks. managed to get through that. Yeah. I'll be editing that 15 minute segment <laughs> down to about five minutes. <laughs> oh my goodness. On with the show. Medieval true crime. Me first. MTC. MTC. Here we go. Ready? Always. Okay. For you, dear. I was thinking about medieval times and all the horrid punishments they dole out willy nilly. <laughs> okay. Yes. I love that phrase. We don't willy use that. Willy nilly. Why are you doing that all willy nilly? Willy nilly. Odd sayings and where they come from. Yeah, we need to bring that back. We need to do another one. Yeah, where does Willy Nilly come from? Don't know. Did you know, back in the day, there was no proper police force in medieval times? No. There wasn't. I'm telling you. No, I just didn't believe it. (laughs) No, I don't believe it. It was down to the victim of the crime and the local community to catch and punish the criminal. There was, however, a justice of the peace and they had the responsibility of overseeing their county. So basically, like if me or you did something wrong, like Keith and Henry would come and get us from the um, parish council. Uh, well, we wouldn't and go to county. No, they would come and get us and we'd either, we'd like be put to trial and then have punishment accordingly. Well... Let's both be thankful in this moment that times have changed. <laughs> Thank God. Because we would be in those docks 
Well, just you wait till you hear what I've got to say, because I think we'd be having lots of horrible punishments, we would. Just you wait until you hear what I have to say. (laughs) Just you wait. T-shirt that right now. Just you wait until you hear what I have to say. Yes? Thank you. Tell me. Tonight, Dave, I want to talk about the kind of punishments that were doled out during medieval times in a bit more detail. Dun, dun. Detail. Especially some of the more weird ones. Oh, yeah, we like weird. Yeah. So medieval punishments look like a lot of torture. But at that time, people believed that pain could determine a person's guilt. So this was called a trial of ordeal, which mm. I think you're... Are you talking about I something touch on similar? That a yeah. Bit, yeah. Um, any real hard evidence was considered totally secondary. So they would use, like, um, absolute, like, pain to get the answers they wanted and dismiss any, like, hard yeah. evidence. Like three people that witnessed it happening. No, no thanks. (laughs) So if people survived their trial, they were considered innocent because God was clearly on their side. Yes. Okay. So let's dive into some of the bizarre things people were made to do. Let's start light. Okay. MTC light. MTC light. If you'd been offensive, offensive... Or blasphemed. Who's struggling now? Me. (laughs) You would need to be ready to do some acting, Dave. Yeah. The parish would make you stand outside the church wearing a white sheet and pretend to be a ghost. All while your friends and family were being fielded into church. So you'd be stood outside in a white sheet, okay? And you would have to beg very loudly for forgiveness. So you render a white sheet and you've got to be like, I'm really sorry for saying, oh my God, the other day. There's a TikTok in there somewhere. I know. <laughs> St. Ethelbert's, here we come. St. Ethelbert's, white sheet. Yeah. You, me, Tember. Done. Done. We're doing it. <laughs> Uh, another way I'm to really sorry <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> another way to punish minor crimes was to make you wear hideous animal masks around the town or village or locked in the stocks of the village wearing a mask oh yeah I'd never heard about wearing the masks I knew about like stocks and things but yeah so sometimes you would be made to wear animal masks in there. And are they fake animal masks? Yeah, not not like heads of deers or things, you know. <laughs> so, Dave, have you heard of the Scold's Bridle? No. Okay. It's a metal Hannibal Lecter-style mask. with a, So it's put around your head... And, like, it's got, like, a bit that would go between your teeth. Okay. Sometimes that the bit that would go in your mouth had spikes on it. Oh, God. Yeah. To prevent the wearer from speaking. Can you guess what punishment this is for? Mm, is it, like, speaking ill of somebody else? <laughs> Rumour-mongering? Yeah. Um. So, they... So the research that's gone into it says that it was for women who ran their mouths too much. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be wearing that bad boy all the time. You would be just, you'd have one at home. (laughs) Andy would be putting me in it every night. (laughs) (laughs) They would be made to wear the uh, bridle and parade around the town or the village for up to 12 hours in it showing everyone how gobby they were (sighs) 
Yeah. I mean, that's... And was that only a punishment for women as well? No, it could be a punishment for for men, but okay. it was mostly, mostly women. used on women. Okay, because only women would have been seen as gobby if they spoke oh, out. Oh, yeah, of course. In case you spoke out of turn, maybe said, husband... What are you doing that for? Why are you doing it like that? They'd be like, get this, get the skulls, bride light. She's got too much to say. <laughs> oh, an awful time. Awful, awful. And you'd be loving it. You'd be like, get me one of them. That's why I've got him for his birthday. <laughs> um, so also in medieval times, animals committed that committed crimes also had trials oh wow yes the historian jerome newman reported one case where a hangman decided to take the law into his own hands and kill a sow that was accused of killing a child so he went ahead and did it anyway the pig hadn't had a trial okay so it hadn't had its trial and the hangman killed it and then the hangman was punished and he was like banished from the village he ran out of town because he killed this side before it could have its own trial right I know (laughs) bizarre isn't it yeah (laughs) so the rack all head of the rack. Yes. Yeah. Stretchy, stretchy. Used to punish various different crimes. More of the nasty crimes, though. You wouldn't get it for, like, theft and, like, pickpocketing or things like that. Mm. The criminal would have two hands, uh, their two hands and their two feet tethered to rollers at each end of a wooden frame. And they would then turn the handle to stretch the criminal until their joints were dislocated. Oh, imagine the pops. Oh, it makes me feel really queasy. Like, even writing that, I was like, mm. what? But I bet, I bet what's really strange about that is, I bet there's a, the first part of that torture. Yeah. It's probably, probably quite, quite nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know, being stretched right like, out, yeah, and then like, like Oh, just God. to that stage stop. and you're like oh this is stop. lovely and you're like no yeah. no 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 pop 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 Blech. makes me feel so sick so then this is another one for us barrel pillory have you heard of that no so this was used for excessive drinking oh no if you were caught excessively drinking in medieval times they would put you in a barrel not not a full one, an empty one, and make you stay kneel. I know you would be made to kneel inside the barrel for several days in your own filth, so you couldn't come out. You just had to sit in the barrel in your own shit, hanging out your ass that because be you were so hungover. The worst. I know, in a barrel of your own shit. And you know. People, we now portray, sort of, when you look at high fantasy and stuff. Yeah. And it's sort of based in pseudo-medieval times, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's, like, drinking an ale. I and know. And going to a tavern and yeah, things like that. Yeah, having a jolly old time. And, yeah. Lies. Lies. It wasn't well, it's like that Obviously, in real life. like, excessive drinking, though. You know, getting an absolutely shit face. <laughs> Rat ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Andy and Matt would be like, "Where's our Dave and Safe? Yeah, oh, they're in the barrels. They're in the barrels. They're in the barrels again. They went, they went oh, down the belfry hell. on Friday, and now they're in the barrels." <sighs> <sighs> oh dear. <laughs> so we're getting a bit nasty now. Oh, are we? Yes, we're going to the pair of anguish, which is. Really nasty. So this particular instrument of torture was reserved for witches, prostitutes and homosexuals. Oh. I'm looking at you, Dave. <laughs> okay. I'm very attacked. 
Are you well, saying that I'm a witch prostitute I'm homosexual? I'm saying that you're a witch prostitute homosexual. I fucking okay. dare you. <laughs> I am two of those things and I will not tell you which two. Like its namesake, it's a small metal pear... <laughs> <laughs> Let me start that again. It's a small metal pear. I don't know what happened then. Right. We're, we're both struggling, it's fine. Because uh, uh, we, we haven't done it for we ages. We haven't done this for nearly a month. I know. It's too much. Like its namesake, sake, it's a small metal pear like object which was inserted into either the anus or the vagina and gradually opened using a turning stem. As it opened, Dave, it split into several sharp slivers to inflict severe pain and blood loss. Oh my God. Disgusting. It's so disgusting. I've seen photographs of them and they are vile. (laughs) Vile. Unsurprisingly, many men and women died during this process. That's awful. Horrendous. Yeah. Imagine that. But that makes squeaky feel, bum time. I mean, literally, gross. <laughs> so <laughs> this one is also pretty horrific. The Judas chair. <clears throat> it's similar to the pair. Um, you are placed over... And this is also for the gays as well, is it? Uh, well, for the gays, the whores, and the witches, yeah. <laughs> All the great things in life. <laughs> <laughs> so you're placed over a chair which is shaped like a pyramid. No. Women are placed with their vaginal canal over the tip, and men are placed with their anus over the tip. Then they are lowered onto the chair to cause internal mutilation. Jesus Christ. I know. And do we know what crimes... Oh, no, just for those things, those two things. Various crimes again, yeah. And then we've got my last one. Yeah. Which is my personal favourite. Okay. Hung. Drawn. Drawn. Quartered. (sighs) Right, no, no. Before before you go into this, who is the first person that comes to mind when you think hung, drawn and quartered? Uh, Braveheart. Yeah, 100%. Every time. Every time someone says it, I get... Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson going, freedom! Yeah. (laughs) And that, like, scene at the end where he's hung, drawn and quartered. Yeah. Yeah. Great film. Great film. Great film. Full of historical inaccuracies. Yeah, but great film. But great film. I mean, our podcast is full of historical inaccuracies, but it's still great. So basically, that um, <laughs> review could be applied to both Braveheart and this podcast. Absolutely. Great. Great. Full of historical inaccuracies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And, and we fess up to that, so that's fine. Because <laughs> we do not know where we read it. <laughs> We don't know where we read it. Somewhere. <laughs> I mean, everything's written down. Freedom of speech. Come on. <laughs> okay. Come on. Tell okay. me more. Tell me more. <laughs> You're like, shut up. I love you. Probably the best known punishment and the worst one. Yeah. You're hung from the neck until almost dead. Then you're taken down, laid out flat. Then a bloke comes along, slices you in two across the stomach, takes out your internal organs and throws them on a fire that is within your eyeline so you can see your entrails being burnt as you are dying on the, like, platform that you are led on and then if that's not enough Dave they tether you I don't know whether they tether you to horses every time but they did in Braveheart didn't they Mm. sometimes they just yank your bits off 
or chop you up. That's fun. But tether you to horses, make them run in different directions, and poof, you're out. Yeah. And they chop your head off. For good measure. For good measure. Just to top it all off. Imagine that. Oh. Oh. No, I can't. Oh, no. That's not a way I'd want to go. Absolutely not. Mm. And also, seems a little bit excessive on the part of the Punisher. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, it's dragging it out, isn't it? It's it's like, we're going to properly... We're going to make you pay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I don't think... I don't think that's right. Well... I'm glad we don't do that anymore. I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have to make decisions about who has to go through that. Yeah. What a thing. (laughs) You know. No. It's full on, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder wonder who was the last person to be hung, drawn and quartered. I wonder. Let's find out. Yeah. Let's find that out. I'm going to bring that to you. In the next episode. I'm going to write it down then. I'm going to write myself a note tonight. Yeah. Sophie, that was phenomenal. Thank you for taking us on a truly punishing journey. It was punishing. Yeah. Mm. We are... Cheers to being born in the 21st century. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got it easy as pie. Easy fucking peasy. All we've got to do is go on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. (laughs) That's all people do, isn't it? That's all we've got. Okay. (laughs) It's all we've got. It is now. That's our punishment now. (laughs) (laughs) Punishable by social media. Well, it's almost, yeah, it's almost, but I suppose it's a little bit full circle, isn't it? Because there's almost, not the horrible punishments, but the sort of ostracisation. Yes. And being sort of chased out of town and things like that. That kind oh, of yeah, now happens definitely. in like a social media yeah. perspective from a cancel Pitch culture. Forks. Yeah, Pitch people forks. are just like, cancel them, cancel them, yeah. cancel them. So it's almost. 100%. You know, I'm not saying that we're going to be hung drawing and quartering people but you can definitely be ghosted oh massively 100% definitely yes outside St Ethelbert's (laughs) in a sheet I need to do that do you think the the vicar would mind (laughs) just do it round the back we should do it right safe yes the year okay is 897 and Pope Stephen VI has ordered the eight-month-old corpse of his predecessor removed from its vault at St. Peter's. Why? The former and very dead Pope is clad in his old pontifical vestments, <gasps> placed on a throne in a Roman basilica and put on trial. No way. Is he... How long has he been in there? A few decades later, oh. at least, if you believe the annals of Winchester... King mm. Edward the Confessor accuses... I always believe the annals. <laughs> <laughs> King Edward the Confessor accuses his mother of adultery, but Edward's mother proves her innocence by walking barefoot and unharmed over red-hot plowshares. What? Today, I'm going to explore several of these peculiar trials. Lovely. Go ahead. What <laughs> were these people thinking? How did it come to this? Oh, Ancient Greece and ancient Rome each had pragmatic and evidence-driven methods for resolving disputes and criminal charges. Mm. So, Sophie, Mm. what happened? What took us from the legal systems of ancient Greece and ancient Rome to people being hung, drawn and quartered, put in barrels, or having bits put in their mouths because they were right gobby bitches? Well... I don't know, but I'm glad it's over. In short, <laughs> in the first half of the... Si- I love that you said that like you lived it. I'm so, <laughs> so gl- glad I'm it's s- over. Being the immortal being that I am, I am so glad. Having lived through that, <laughs> I'm so glad it's over now. <laughs> in short, in the first half of the 6th century was that a curtain fell on the ancient world. 
In the 530s, the Black Death swept through much of Europe and soon marauding barbarians entered the continent. They killed, conquered, conquered? <laughs> they killed, conquered and converted. And in the process, the invaders transformed Europe's systems of justice. The relatively sensible approach to crime found in ancient Rome gave way to something much different. <gasps> oh my goodness. Barbarian marauders. All right, not that kind, kind of barbarian marauders. I know. Still, still your loins. Sound great. <laughs> barbarian centaur marauders. Oh my god! <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> so, our first tale is known as the Cadaver Synod of 897. So our tour, Sophie, of medieval justice starts there. Okay. Or, as many have come to call it, the dead Pope trial. Mm. The mid to late 800s was a bad time for popes. Oh no. Charlemagne's empire had crumbled and Europe had split into smaller and smaller fiefdoms. Mm. Or fiefdoms, depending on how you pronounce. I say Mm. fief, what do you say? Five? Dunno, really. Five, probably. Mm. Fiefdoms. Okay. I think Andy says fiefdoms. Okay. Many of these fiefdoms... <laughs> <I'd>... <laughs> Many of these fiefdoms eyed Rome's treasury and sought protection money. Because of Rome's weakened condition, popes in the late 800s depended on the support of secular leaders to hold office and to achieve goals. Mm. It was a time of political factions and a Pope had to be aligned with the right faction to accomplish much of anything. So, in this turbulent time, Bishop Formosus of Portus, which was a little suburb of Rome, was making a name for himself in Catholic circles. In the 1860s, the Pope called on Formosus to manage important church matters in Bulgaria, France and Trent. Each time he received high marks for his work, which led people to start proposing that he himself should be a candidate for Pope. Oh. But when an opening occurred in 872, the, pa- the papacy, 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 the papacy went to a rival, Pope John VIII. Oh no. The papacy. The papacy. <laughs> Unfortunately, things went from bad to worse oh. for Formosus, as he also backed the wrong candidate for the next emperor and soon fled Rome. Oh dear. Pope John VIII convened a synod and charged Formosus with a laundry list of crimes under church law. Things like deserting his diocese without permission, opposing the crowning of an emperor, and conspiring with certain inquisitous men and women for the destruction of the papacy. Formosus was convicted, defrocked, and excommunicated. Bloody hell, I hate it when you get defrocked. (laughs) Well, depends on the situation, actually. Come on. So, Sophie, you might be thinking that that's it for Formosus. I think he is done for. He's done. He's out. However, you would be wrong. (laughs) Would I? Six years later, (laughs) the excommunication was lifted and in return, Formosus promised never to return to Rome or execute priestly duties. And for a while, he didn't. But... In 18... Couldn't help himself, could he? Well, things start to happen. Uh-oh. In 882... Okay. Pope John VIII is clobbered over the head with a hammer. Uh-oh. Becoming the first pope to be assassinated. <gasps> How many other popes have been assassinated? I don't know. I think we might need to do an episode yeah. on assassinated popes. <laughs> no, I don't think we do. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think a few of them are covered I mean, here. Yeah, Okay. Um, newly installed Pope Marinus didn't share his predecessor's grudge with Formosus, mm. so he released Formosus from his oath and restored him to his old diocese. Ah, bigot Formosus. <laughs> Three more popes came and went, 
they seem to drop dead with alarming regularity around this time until at last in 891 Formosus became the first former excommunicated individual to be elected as Pope oh surprise surprise however with the job came many problems oh dear the most important concerned the messy politics of the church and the Holy Roman Empire. The previous Pope had made commitment to crown a Roman emperor by the name of Guy Spoleto III. Mm. But Formosus had his own idea as he to who he wasn't ready for that. should be emperor. He was like, I am not letting Spoleto no. get anywhere near it. No thanks. And so, Formosus persuaded one Arnulf of Carinthia to invade Italy and liberate it from the control of Emperor Spoleto. Arnulf crossed the Alps, seized the city, and a day later was crowned in St. Peter's Basilica by Pope Formosus as the new emperor, as Spoleto died suddenly and was no longer in the picture. Oh dear. Two months later, mm-hmm. Pope Formosus died oh, no. of a stroke. And for eight months, his corpse rested peacefully in the vault of St. Peter's. But in January of 897, power shifted again. Arnuf suffered a stroke and left Rome. And once again, Spoleto's relatives were riding high and they had not forgotten what Formosus had done. <sighs> Spoleto's relatives put pressure on the new Pope, Stephen VI, to put Formosus on trial for a list of alleged crimes. So, Pope Stephen calls a meeting of bishops and cardinals known as the Cadaver Synod. And at this meeting, it is decided to remove the rotting corpse of Pope Formosus from its vault. Church aides remove the shroud from the corpse, dress it in pontifical vestments, put a crown on its skull, and prop what is left of Formosus oh, no. up on a throne in the Basilica of St. John Lateran. Oh dear. The bishops and cardinals, called as witnesses, stare in shock at the sight, and one can imagine them struggling to deal with the overwhelming stench. Oh no, smelly Pope. <laughs> Pope Stephen appoints himself prosecutor and appoints an 18-year-old deacon to serve as counsel for for the dead Formosus. Oh, man, I feel sorry for him. And what happens next is described by E.R. Chamberlain in his entertaining book, The Bad Popes. Hmm. The council wisely kept silent while Stephen raved and screamed his insults at at the corpse. The charges against Formosus include performing the functions of a bishop after he promised not to, Mm. assuming the papacy and conspiring against a previous pope. And among the list of questions that Pope Stephen had for the corpse were, why did you usurp the universal papacy in such a spirit of ambition? Why did you exercise the office of bishop after you took an oath to remain a layman? And why did you commit perjury? Of course... Pope Formosus had no good answers because he was a corpse. He was dead. So Pope Stephen proposed that he should be found guilty and the bishops present didn't see any reason to disagree. Mm. And they all shouted, so be it. Mm. So guards stepped forward to carry out the sentence. The three fingers on the corpse, once used for blessings, were hacked off. Oh, no. The papal crown was removed, as were the garments. Oh, my God. And a short while later, the body was unceremoniously chucked into the Tiber River. Oh, wow. However, our story does not end there. After the aftermath of the trial... Further twists and turns occurred. Monks, who were sympathetic to Formosus, fetched the corpse from the river and rumours began to circulate that the corpse was performing miracles on the banks of the Tiber. No way. Bishops appointed by Formosus, who were still loyal to him, staged a Vatican coup, (gasps) which resulted in a mob tossing Pope Stephen into a dungeon where he was strangled. I mean, this would be an amazing... This is like Game of Thrones. This would be a really good film. I know. 
Subsequently, the decrees of the Cadaver Synod were then annulled. I really want them to call it the Bad Popes as well. (laughs) The Bad Popes. (laughs) The Bad Popes. So they were annulled. Then they were reinstated by different popes as they came and went. And Formosus' corpse was first returned to its vault and then exhumed and tossed into the Tiber again. And then eventually his bones found their way back to St. Peter's, where he was laid to rest for the third and hopefully final time. Oh my God. The Cadaver Synod succeeded in dampening enthusiasm for trying corpses. And indeed, in 1898, Pope John IX even issued a decree prohibiting future trials of the dead. Oh, good. No more dead popes. Yes. So, the Cadaver Synod was something of a special case. Yeah. But we're now going to talk to about trials surrounding more ordinary people. Mm-hmm. When I mean ordinary people, I'm still talking about noble people, though. Okay, but Just alive people. Religious people. Okay. People that are alive. And not religious. 100%. Okay. So, you've touched on this, but there were two techniques, each semi-rational at best, that came into use. The earliest form of trial to develop was trial by oath, or more precisely, trial by compurgation. In these trials, a person accused of a crime tried to round up people willing to swear to his or her innocence. Okay. People called compurgators. I hope I'm saying that right. The number of oath takers required to prove innocence varied with the seriousness of the charge and one's place in society. These trials were not fact-based inquiries. The oaths were the evidence. Mm. So whether you did it or not yeah. didn't matter. If you could get 10 people, ten to, people say, to say that you were a good person. You ain't done that. She didn't do it. Yeah. I will always do that for you. And me. Good. Same. <laughs> Even the high and mighty had to seek out compurgators. For example, in 899 BC, Queen Uta of Germany stood accused of adultery. She won acquittal, however, when 82 knights lined up to confirm her chastity. I bet they did. (laughs) (laughs) 82, Queen Uta. 82. If that seems like a high burden, Sophie, for Queen Uta, consider that a person accused of poisoning in the Dark Ages in Wales had to find 600 compurgators to prove their innocence. Oh my God. I know. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that is crazy. 600? Mm. I don't think I know 600 people. No, I don't. (laughs) Oof. I've got like a thousand five hundred friends on Facebook there. Oh, just there you go. Them. Just send send Don't out know a post. Any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Trials by oath made sense for people who believed in God, because they believed that God would strike dead anyone who swore falsely. But objections to the system, people understood perjury was possible, led to another form of trial, the trial by ordeal. At first, ordeals were employed as a way of producing a result in intractable cases, but it, its use spread and in many places replaced compurgation altogether. Mm. Trials of ordeal bear almost no resemblance to modern trials. They were proceedings designed to attract God's attention and have him make the call, guilty or yeah. innocent. If a defendant was truly innocent, the thinking went that God would step in and perform a miracle to save the defendant from a grievous wrong. It's important to state, though, that these weren't used to get what one party wanted. People of the medieval world truly believed that God would ensure a just outcome. And for most people at the time, they believed that God was ever watchful and they could scarcely imagine God just sitting by and letting an innocent person be found guilty. So they would just truly believe yeah. that if they didn't pass this trial, yeah. well, that's why that's it. They're they guilty. are guilty. Yeah. Stupid bitches. Stupid people. 
In a trial by ordeal, the defendant was subjected to a challenge, usually an unpleasant one, causing serious injury. Yeah. A typical ordeal might involve walking over hot irons or retrieving a stone from boiling water. Oh, yeah, I read about that today. The defendant was found innocent if the injury sufficiently healed within a specific time, three days usually, and guilty if the injury still festered. In the more bizarre ordeals of cold water, bound suspects were thrown into a convenient body of water to see whether they sank or floated because water was believed to be pure and have the power to repel sin. Anyone who sank persuasively enough was acquitted and with any luck might be resuscitated to live and see another day. So that was used quite a lot with witch trials as well. So with that being said... Let's get on to the trial of Emma. So no records from the time exist for the trial or by ordeal of Emma of Normandy. The earliest surviving records comes from the Annals of Winchester, written in about 1200 AD. So this next story is likely to be a mixture of fact and fiction. Just how we like it. We love that. So, according to the annals, the Archbishop of Canterbury persuaded King Edward the Confessor, or Edward II, a.k.a. the gay one, to charge his own... You know that, right? Yeah. He's the one buried in Gloucestershire. Yeah. I nearly did a story on him for this episode, actually, Uh, about one of the people that was meant to be his um, lovers. Oh, really? What happened to him. Because that's quite interesting. Like, he was, like, exiled multiple times... And then was welcomed back. She and come back. Yeah. Anyway. Probably because it was great fun. <laughs> I thought you were going to say great in bed. <laughs> <laughs> a great in bed, great <laughs> fun, just a great all round guy. It was, was a fun time, Frankie. It's a fun time, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> so. The Archbishop of Canterbury persuaded King Edward to charge his own mother, Emma of Normandy, with adultery. The charge claimed that Emma had engaged in sexual relationships with Bishop Alfwine of Winchester. Emma! I know, but what a great name, Alfwine. Yeah, I love that. Emma insisted she was innocent and that she was willing to undergo the ordeal of hot iron to prove it. Oh, God! The Archbishop of Canterbury agreed, but only with rigorous conditions. Okay. And I quote, Let the ill-famed woman walk oh. nine paces with bare feet on nine red-hot plowshares, four to clear herself and five to clear the bishop. So she even had to clear oh, the bishop. so name. he didn't have to do it himself. Like, no. Yeah, absolutely. get fucked. <laughs> if she falters... If she does not press one of the plowshares fully with her feet, if she is harmed, the one least bit, then let her be judged a fornicator. Oh. So if she gets burned? Is one tough test. So basically, clearly the Archbishop had it out for her. Yeah. He did not like Emma of Normandy. No. I'm feeling that possibly he made a pass at her. Yeah. After... And she was like, no thanks. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, right, you bitch, I'm having you. Yeah, 100%. Don't stand on those hot play forks. 100%. So, Sophie, let me set the scene. Mm-hmm. The nine red-hot plowshares are laid across the pavement in a church. Oh. Emma enters, looking fabulous. Of course, she would. In a regal lace number and entreats God to save her. Yeah. Come on, God. Led by the hand by bishops, she starts to walk over each of the nine plowshares. Miraculously... Emma passes the test with flying colours. Well done, Emma. According to one account, Emma senses nothing. She even turns to a bishop and asks, when shall we come to the plowshares? Oh. Mm -hmm. Because she's a woman. (laughs) She's gone through (laughs) childbirth. (laughs) The bishops, no doubt shocked by her question, tell her she just passed over them. Her feet are examined or so the report goes, and they are found to be uninjured, all around proclaim a miracle, and Emma is innocent of the charge and free to go, with all her confiscated property restored. 
Amazing. Well done, Emma. High five. I hope that's right. You had to walk over five for the bloke. Four for yourself, five for him. What a load of bollocks. <laughs> it, like, and there's a couple of, there's a really good podcast out there, like What's Her Name and The Explorer S, yes. that talk about, like, women in sort of Tudor times and ancient times and how yeah. hard it was for women. But it absolutely, I mean, even this is just another example of, like, if men didn't like women in power or women in general that didn't do what they wanted to do Mm -hmm. they could trot out some absolute tripe like this and a woman would probably end up dying or being found guilty because they wouldn't pass this absolute ridiculous trial what a bunch of knobs just fucking patriarchy I know So, what could be the explanation here, Sophie? Could it be that the plowshears were not as hot as the archbishop had ordered? Mm. Perhaps Emma's feet were toasted, but less so than expected. Perhaps the ordeal never occurred at all. Separating fact from fiction can be difficult in a period without much record keeping, but what we do know is that the ordeal of hot iron was one of the more common forms mm. of ordeal during this time period. Mm. But what about like hot coals, you know, and like people walking over hot coals? Because people yeah. do that, don't they? <laughs> what about hot coals? What about hot coals? Because of hot coals, because people walk over hot coals. They do, they do. and they're fine. Yeah, would you do that? I'd be up for doing that. It's like a mind thing, isn't it? But (laughs) we'll do it on Saturday. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be like, Sand, come on, get some coals off that fire. Get them outside. Me and Dave have to walk over them. (laughs) We're doing a party game for everybody. It's for his fortieth. Andy's got to walk over forty times. Yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) It's a mind, but it's mind. It's that mind control, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I think I do believe in that. But even, I think it is mind over matter. But yeah. to a degree, though, your mind can't stop a, like a burn from An happening. Injury. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Like if you were like, I don't believe this, you know, touching this oven is going to hurt my hand. Yeah. You might convince your brain to not make you feel pain, yes. but you're still going to get a physical injury from it as well, yeah. aren't you? So, but yes. So those are my two stories. Well done. Thank you. They were very good. I really, like, enjoyed reading about this. And I have to cite um, the Famous Trials by Professor Douglas Olinda, which I found on famoustrials.com, which pretty much is the inspiration for the story that I told. So thank you very much to him. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Not For The Dinner Table. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of our other episodes, such as episode 64, Medieval Hocus Pocus. That was a good one. Episode 44, The Legend of Robin Hood. Mm. Episode 28, The Gunpowder Plot. Can you believe that that was episode 28? Episode 24, The Witchcraft Murder. Oh my God. Episode 17, Local Legends and Things from the Forest. And episode 10, the episode that we first did true crime and realised it wasn't for us, The West Murders. Oh, yeah. Links to these can be found in our show notes. If you'd like to help Not For The Dinner Table grow, then spread the word and tell a friend. And if you'd like to go one further, then please leave us a review wherever you found the podcast. You can find us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find the links of those in the show notes. And if you have a strange story, question or topic that you'd like us to cover, email us on notforthedinnertable at gmail.com. Yes, please. And we do have one of those that we'll be sharing in the next episode. Sorry, we've just run over today. <gasps> Two chatty cathies. The podcast is, well, pa- partly because half of it I couldn't pronounce. Oh, yeah. So this will be a 15-minute episode. <laughs> we'll cut all of it out. <laughs> the podcast is written and produced by... Me. And me, and co-produced by the wonderful Temba Turner. Oh, 
Our Thanks, logo Amber. was created by Kaylee, and you can see more of her work on Instagram at kcreatesdesign, and additional artwork by Jamtoon Illustrations, and you can see more of their work on Instagram at Jamtoon Illustrations. Our music was created by the terrific Chris Scott, and remember, everyone is welcome at our dinner table, except medieval church people. Oh, yeah. What a bunch of twats. Medieval church people are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, ladies and gentlemen, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Medieval church people are the worst. Mm. (laughs) But they are, though.